Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I want to welcome William Lee Martin to the show today. And I'm unimpressed that we never hooked up when we had Cletus T. Judd for this idea of doing a show. So welcome, William. Hope you're doing well. How's Texas doing over there? You know, it's cold today. It's rare for us to get this kind of weather, but we're supposed to have the next seven or eight days, the high 20s and the lows in the teens, which is uh, rare for us. So I had to go out and buy pants. What town are you in exactly? A little place called Newark, Texas. It's just north of Fort Worth and that side of it, kind of going out west. I mean, literally a one light town. My wife and I have a house here. We love it, but we're still about 45 minutes away from the airport. Makes it in and out. Oh, okay. So you fly out of love? Uh, no, I fly out of DFW. Gotcha. Well, I see you don't like to market anything. No, not at all. You know, that's the whole point. Is, uh, <laughs> I see like 12 shirts, 15 hats. You got to make a living somehow. When the whole COVID thing hit, uh, we had probably about 45,000 followers. To date, we, we've got somewhere around a half a million. So, wow. Yeah. So we've grown about 450,000 social media followers in the last nine, 10 months or so. Well, I know you got a great reputation. Bruce Ayers talks highly about you. Genovesian talks highly about you uh, from ICM. And yeah, I'm surprised we have haven't met yet on a personal basis, so I'm glad to meet you here on this podcast. So what have you been doing and how hard has it been for you through this pandemic? It really, for me, it started before this. There really has been a shift in my ideology of show business and in my own life over the last five years or so. And, you know, I had the CMT special come out. My wife and I produced it ourselves and everybody said we'd never get it on television. We sold it ourselves to CMT. You know, around here, we kind of act like the little rascals. You know, we're just going to put on a show. And uh, everybody said we'd never get it on television. We did. And I was still going by Cowboy Bill, my nickname that my grandfather gave me when I was born. A lot of people thought that that was a made up name. And it really wasn't. It was really who I was. And after the special came out, I still felt like something was missing. And then I'd rededicated my life to Christ. And so I was trying to clean up some of my act altogether. And one day I'm mowing the grass and I'm literally asking, why can't I grab the brass ring? You know, that proverbial brass ring. And mm-hmm. even in my prayer, I'm like, you let Rodney Carrington and you let uh, Ron White grab the brass ring. Why can't I? Obviously, there's no moral clause. They're both flying around in G7. Just like you and I are talking, the voice in my head said, listen, I, I put you out on a cruise ship for seven years and you could change anything. And the only thing you were willing to change was your name. And you wanted me to work the miracle. You know, you're waiting on me. I'm waiting on you. So I just started mm-hmm. making wholesale changes in my life. And, and not only just with the act, but also on how I approach everything in life. And once I realized that life was not happening to me, that it wasn't personal, that it was just happening around me, you know, it took a lot of pressure off everything else that I was doing. And then we did two more specials and we got those on Amazon Prime. And both of those came out in November, December with Comedy Dynamics of 2019. 
And we were really starting to hit a stride. And then just like everybody else in America, we got hit with the the COVID thing. The guys that I have doing my marketing, they were like, you know, you have got to stay in front of your audience. And I'm like, well, I don't want to do a Zoom. You know, I don't want to do a, a show I can't do. I know there's comics that have been able to do it and do it successfully. But a Zoom show without an audience, I personally can't do it. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I have to have that energy. I have mm-hmm. to have that feedback. 25 years of it, I just don't know. And they say, well, flip on the camera and talk on it. And I go, nobody wants to hear me just ramble on. You know, I was being inundated like everybody else with just negativity, negativity. And I flipped it on. And I just started talking about this positive change, this aspect, this outlook on my life. And some of it was funny. Some of it was inspirational. Some of it was informational. And we just watched the numbers go higher and higher. And then we started releasing little clips from those two specials. And, you know, 27 or 28 of them now have over a million views and stuff like that. So kind of a perfect storm without touring. I have a production company, so why not set up the lights? So many people look like they're doing it in the corner of their basement. So I didn't want to do that. So we brought in the lights and now we're doing a bunch of these Zoom calls like with you. Southern Mama was pitched several of those deals. And I mean, even though he has over 4 million fans or whatever it is, he can put up a show and sell tickets. But this virtual thing just didn't translate very well. I don't know why. Stand-up requires three things. The stand-up, the audience, and the lights and sound. You know, so many people just think that if they just have two of those things, that the show's good. Well, if they can't see them, they can't hear them, the show's not good. Mm-hmm. So if you have lights and sound and a, and a stand-up with no audience, now you're still missing a third of that element. I think all three of those things are the cogs that really make the wheel go. And without them, you know, it's going to be a bumpy ride. The cowboy name and now, what is the difference in your show? Cussing, obviously, but nothing. I never did a cowboy show anyway. That's the funniest part of it is it's always been about family, true life stories. I'm a storyteller. Never been a really a setup punch guy, but I do a setup punch throughout a story. One of the specials is called The Nutcracker, which is 40 minutes on my vasectomy, but we packaged it in a way and called it The Nutcracker for Christmas. You know, this is the first time I've done one of these without the cowboy hat. I got two offers in the last couple of weeks on on doing some acting stuff and and my wife and I talked about it and we're like, you know, if we do want to get out there, then I I don't always have to wear the cowboy hat because, you know, right now Yellowstone is not hiring and that's the only show out there with a cowboy hat in it. You could be on Dallas. You could be like JR. Remember JR Ewing? Well, yeah, they brought back uh, Walker, Texas Ranger. Now it's a younger Walker. And I always thought that I would be the perfect cast in McLeod. Remember the old Dennis Weaver, a New Mexico police officer who went to New York? 
I would be perfect as McLeod. Yeah. I guess I was thinking your name change was when you changed your set. My name actually came from my grandfather. He was William Lee. I was William Lee. He didn't want me to be called Little Bill like he was. He said, don't call him that. He'll hate it as a grown-up. Call him Cowboy Bill. And I was actually named after Cowboy Bill Watts, the old wrestler back in the 60s, right? I don't go by Bill or Cowboy Bill all the way through school. I am William Martin, William Lee Martin, all the way through school. When I was 30 years old and I go on a stand-up comedy, before I even got the gig, I'd written a book called Life on a Neon Moon, Now That She's Gone and Took the Dog With Her, which read like stand-up. And everybody kept telling me it read like stand-up. And then I got this idea to pitch a call-in to a radio station as a single guy. I got it with the guy and he agreed and we even got a sponsor, which was Cowboys in Arlington. The first day I called in, he said, we've got Cowboy Bill calling from Cowboys. And the next week was my first time ever on stand-up. And I went up as Cowboy Bill Martin. So the name has actually been part of my life the whole time. But what I found after 20 years of it is that it seemed to confuse people. One, real cowboys would always go, why would I go see him? I'm a real cowboy. I work with cows and horses and I don't call myself cowboy. So there was this double-edged sword that when people came and saw the show, you know, they liked it. On the cruise ship, vastly different audience every night in front of you. Different ethnicities, different economic backgrounds and everything else. The show was working. And yet I still felt like people were still trying to figure out this whole cowboy thing. So I Mm -hmm. dropped it. I just went by my real name, William Lee Martin. The act didn't change, though, until I changed a lot of stuff in my life. What is your relatability on stage? Married with five kids. I talk about real day life. The bits that I have on social media work so well because so many people go, well, he's talking about you, brother. So yeah. I, I think that's that. That's always been my appeal, though. Family man from Texas. Yeah. And I'm right in the middle politically. The other special is called Standing in the Middle. You yeah. know, the way I've always looked at it is 10% of our country is on the far left and 10% is on the far right. And 80% of us are in the middle just wishing they would shut up so we can all get on with our lives. I try to base things off good or bad. You know, if somebody does something good, great. If he did something bad, great. He did something bad. And I don't care where you're at. I just think you got to make a judgment for yourself and what your instinct is to know if it's a good or bad situation, depending on who that person is, you know, in this government. As a you know, young college student 100 years ago, I had a professor tell us, he's like, listen, the thing about democracy is it's very hard. You know, you have to allow people without the polar opposite of your beliefs have a voice, too. And I think that's important for America. I think we lose the fact that democracy requires grownups to have a voice you know, it, it, we really haven't had a voice of, of reason. I, I tell my kids all the time, uh, shouted voices are rarely heard. You know, you can shout as much as you want, but usually if you're trying to talk to the person next to you, you know, just yelling in their face probably isn't going to get you heard. So it's a yeah. shame that this country can't just talk to each other. Yeah, I mean, there should definitely be better communication because my opinion is if politicians weren't in it for monetary gain, on either side, middle, left, right, wherever it is, you have to start with the kids. If you really want to make a true change, you got to start with the kids about where do our kids live in this country? What are our kids eating in this country? And what is the curriculum that we're feeding our kids? Because I think a lot of times the curriculum sets a standard that puts people in a position that maybe or may not They need to be in that position. Maybe they don't need to know that information. You know what I'm saying? I always use this analogy. If you're born in a desert and you live in a desert, you're only going to know that desert. I think a lot of that, though, also has to occur at home. You know, I I think one of the things that we are lacking is true parenting. You know, you can't really parent from a phone. And how many parents are deep in their phone 
and not actually teaching, not actually talking, not actually listening. We've become so absorbed with these the idea of being good parents that discipline, love, those are the bases that I've tried to raise all my kids with is discipline, love, and laughter. You know, we try to have a, a fair balance of those things here in the house. I'm not saying we do it right 100% of the time, but I have four grown kids that are doing pretty well. And as I try to tell young parents all the time, all you have to do to be a good parent is to be consistent. You know, you hear that one of the oldest premises of timeout, we didn't have timeout, we had knock yet. Well, the problem is that I don't care what the punishment is, <laughs> as long as you make sure that you're consistent with it. So if you say, you know what, you do this again, you're going to get a timeout. We'll make sure the kid gets a timeout. Follow through is is so important. And I think it lacks in, in the country. And I, I think that's why we see it. And then when I see people my age griping about kids that are 20 and 30, I'm like, what's well, our generation that's raising those kids, our generations that's producing those kids that are doing those things, you know, that are allowing that behavior to go on until somebody stands up and goes, yeah, maybe we should take the responsibility for what they're doing as well. I don't think you get much change either. How old are your kids now, age range? Oldest daughter is actually 35. Uh, my son is 32. The next one's 31. The next one is 29. And the last one is 15, going on wow. 41. Well, you talk about parents raising the kids. I've been touching on this subject because this is something I've ran into lately with people have been working for us and the pressures of the world, the informations of the world, creating this anxiety in the younger population. Is that something you've seen through your kids, either with your kids or through your kids, friends and so forth, because of so much pressure and information in society? I don't know if it's information. I think it's, you know, one of my favorite documentaries lately is Social Dilemma. Have you seen The Social Dilemma? Yes. The idea that the phone is not really information. The phone is really designed just to keep you on the phone. My oldest daughter is actually a school administrator for a high school. So she deals with it each and every day. I have a son that's uh, in real estate. And then, you know, I now have four grandchildren too. So I see how they're raising their kids as well. So I don't know if it's information as much as it is on correct information. You know, if you if you believe one way, I think if you look on your phone, I believe it's going to keep feeding you that way. I always wanted them to do the experiment. The only thing they didn't do in that entire documentary, I wanted them to get 50 people in a room and say, Google whatever, and then mm -hmm. see what their Google searches look like compared to each other. So see if they all came up with the same Google or how many different versions of that search would lineate from that information. And I think what you would find is that you would find probably 20 or 30 different versions of what's being fed to you. And what's being fed to you is direct in, in proportion of what you're looking up. When I say there's too much information, right? When you're a kid, used to be kids or whatever, you know, that anticipation of excitement because they are being, whether it's good information, bad information, yes, they are probably taking in more bad information than good information, which adds more pressure to someone because where are they going for excitement? If they're seeing all these different angles and, you know, directions that, you know, things want to take them, you know, right. does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it just came up today. So today the big breaking news was that Mark Cuban of the Dallas Mavericks uh, quit playing the national anthem at all basketball games. 
the storm on all social media is how could he do that? How has he done that? To hell with him. I mean, the whole thing, the whole gamut, the rage is out there and it's real. But my point was uh, on my post when I talked about it was the fact is that it's been going on for two months and you didn't notice. They, they, they had 13 home games. Nobody noticed. There were sportscasters. There were fans watching the game on television. And now the rage. It truly doesn't have an impact on your life right now. But we think it does because of our narrative of, of where life is and where life is headed and where the country's going. But really, it had as much effect on your life today as it did two weeks ago when you didn't know it was happening. What was his reasoning behind that? What I wrote about is basic parenting skills. Uh, now, I didn't ask you, do you have kids? I do. I have a 15-year-old daughter. Okay. Well, you only have one, so you don't have this problem. But if you have two, you always have this problem. Two kids, one toy. They want the toy at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. So you get the argument and the fighting and the fighting and the argument. And at first, you try to tell them, listen, it's important that you share. It's important that you love each other. It's important that your brother and sister, we're all in this together. And then you go sit back down with you. Diet Dr. Pepper and your popcorn and you're watching your movie while the kids are yelling still in the room. And finally, as a parent, you stand up and you go back in there and go, give me the damn toy and nobody gets it, right? Mm-hmm. It's my feeling that because of the hot button of the national anthem that you can't convince people not to kneel and you can't convince people not to get upset about them kneeling. Never were you going to get the two sides to ever meet. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Take away the toy. And you, mm-hmm. just as it happened, for two months, as long as nobody brought it up, nobody was upset about it. Nobody, there was no picketing or anything else at American Airlines, and it went on for 13 games. There was no toy to argue over. Mm-hmm. So once you take away the toy from arguing, all you're doing is playing basketball. And isn't that what we really watch it? I mean, I understand people wanting the national anthem at a at a game. I really do. I mean, I wrote a song for the national anthem, and the guy that put it out and co-wrote it with me, I mean, we've got like 5 million hits on Facebook, right? All the reasons why I stand up for the national anthem, it's laid in some markets. I understand that basketball game is a basketball game. Before a comedy show, wouldn't it be absurd if they ask you, Hey, uh, when you've got your big guys coming to the theater, we're going to play the national anthem before the show. It would seem odd, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. It, it, it yeah. just, but suddenly, you know, because of tradition in the way that we've always done it, my least favorite things to saying because we've always done it, then we should do it. And really, what purpose does it has? Because you're playing basketball to see basketball and to see people dunk the ball. Does it really have an impact that it does? And I, I would argue that it doesn't. And that's probably the best take I think I've ever heard on that topic. Well, if I put on the hat, you know, it goes down. I get down. And I'm just, I tell you what. Let me, let me ask you this. You being a family guy or whatever. I mean, the majority of the comedians in the business pull from the darkest places of their lives. Do you pull comedy from some dark places? Yeah, there are places that I absolutely go. You know, Phyllis Diller had a great line. She said that all comedy bits are like a perfect pearl. It takes the right amount of irritation produced at the right amount of time to get the perfect pearl. I think a lot of comedy comes from from those dark places, going through a divorce, losing my mom two years into my comedy career. You know, my parents moved away when I was 15 years old. This whole notion that I had this charmed, privileged life. You know, I was picked on relentlessly. Uh, the fact that, you know, I was called Bucky and Bucktooth and I was skinny and, and I was afraid to speak in public. And now I do this for a living. It's it's a, it's an odd combination. But I don't think all comedy has to come from that dark spot. I mean, look at Jim Gaffigan. He's made a, a fortune on doing a bit about Hot Pockets. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> Maybe he was overfed Hot Pockets when he was a kid. You know, funny is funny. I do believe that. And I do. I tell young comics all the time, quit trying to be funny and report the funny. You know, we're God's little punchlines. You know, if you just look around, you don't think so. I got two words for you. Yao Ming, okay? Mm-hmm. Basketball player. Houston Rockets. He's from China. They make six billion people under five foot tall. God makes one eight foot one. That's hilarious. God's a prop act. Yeah, that's true. You've always lived in Texas and you grew up in Texas? Yeah, I'm a fifth generation Texan. My family's actually been in Texas on my dad's side since Mexico gave away land grants to Anglos to come settle here. True story. So we didn't steal it from anybody, but, you know, we knew a guy. Where's mama from? My mom's family actually came to America in about 1640. We've looked it up with Ancestry.com, which is really cool. And we've done the whole family tree. They've gone from New England down to Tennessee. They were there for a while, then Missouri, and then Arkansas, and then came to Texas around 1880. Okay. And how about the lady that runs your household? She's actually an Oklahoma girl, so we try not to pick on her too much. (laughs) That's Michelle with one L, and people on social media love her. I always say the one L because, you know, it's only one. So, but she's actually, she's a corporate trainer, well-educated, and yet she grew up on a 1500 head hog farm. So y'all have a production company. Do you do any productions outside of your business? We've done a couple of music videos for a couple of country artists and then we got shut down again. Yeah. Cowtown Drive-In Productions. We place now, what, four television shows did a pilot. It's about all I can handle, about all I can afford. What is your goals the next three years in comedy? It's not only with comedy, but in life in itself. So when I was five years old, all I wanted to be, brother, is either a songwriter or a screenwriter. I wanted to be part of the movie since I was a little kid. I've now completed seven movie scripts that I want to get out and shop. And then I started doing these writing songwriting sessions as well with a bunch of different songwriters from Nashville and Texas and the Red Dirt thing. And so we've really been pushing that. I tell folks all the time that when you read an obituary, the greatest obituaries that I've ever read always had commas. So it said your name, day you born, day you died. And then it said whatever it was, comma, comma, comma. So if it says comedian, period, I don't feel like I got my money's worth out of this body and this life. So I really wanted to say comedian, comma, songwriter, comma, uh, screenwriter, comma, producer, comma, actor, voice actor, all these things. I want all those things in my life. And I think if the one thing COVID has taught us is that we've all had this collective reset button on what's important to you. So many comics, and you'll probably agree with this, so many comics have great ideas, but have the work ethic of nothing. And I tell young comics all the time, you work that much. If you work that much, you just be everybody from the thumb down to the floor because all those people won't work at all. Yeah. So imagine if you work that much or if you work that much, you know, and so we're just going to work hard and try to find the right people to help me move those things forward. And there are so many people, and you know this, that line up to tell me all the things I can't do. Well, you can't get a script sold. You can't get a song sold. You can't, you know, the, the world is full of people who will line up to tell you what you can't do. And so very few people who will line up to tell you what you can. Uh, yeah, Absolutely. Thinking about you saying you wrote seven scripts, you must, your mind must be going 300 miles an hour. 
like I wrote a sequel to Urban Cowboy 2, but I wrote it 15 years ago and I've reworked it again. But how much time do we have every day, especially yeah. in this lockdown? I'm not drinking every day and, you know, I don't spend my time non-productive. Again, it's what I tell my kids all the time. A dream without works is merely a wish. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't do the work, nothing's going to happen. And as a matter of fact, I wrote a song uh, called At the End of the Day a couple of weeks ago, right? It was Sunday morning. I was watching Meet the Depressed, you know, Meet the Press, but it's always depressed, right? Mm-hmm. There's no happy stories in Meet the Press. Yeah. So I was watching it and I was getting angry at both sides and I was like, you know what, the hell with it. And I turned off the television and I started playing Red Dead Redemption, right? The video game. And I'm like, Bill, you got to do something. You got to write something from the script or a song or anything else. And I walked outside and it was snowing for the first time in two years here in Texas. And I look in the main house. My wife is making chili for the afternoon for the snowy day, right? Yeah. And I said, at the end of the day, if it's just me and you, there's nothing that we can't do. And I'm like, oh my God, write that down, man. And I came inside the loft and I wrote a song in about 30 minutes. And now the song's being pitched really big name folks in Nashville. And it got me a publishing deal. And that's just from doing the work. Idle hands make the devil's work, brother. So half the people won't do the work. So when people tell me you can't do it, you're not going to outwork me. I know that part. You may be smarter, maybe better looking, maybe funnier. What I tell my kids all the time, like we'll watch a movie and I'll go, you know, if they'll make that shit, eventually they're going to make my shit because my shit's just as shitty as that shit, if not shittier. I might even get the (laughs) shittiest award ever, but I'll still make my shit because my shit's just as shitty as that shit. I mean, you definitely don't know until you try. If you don't try, you do know the answer. Do you have anything outside of entertainment you like to do? Walk in nature, ride a horse? Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I can ride a horse uh, quite well. Have you played the Red Dead Redemption? No. It's a video game on PlayStation 4, and it's set in the Old West. And my screensaver is the Arabian horse that I got in the mountains in Red Dead Redemption, it takes you to a world of hunting and fishing. And I could literally go a half a mile down the road and ride a real horse. And I choose to ride the fake one. I played this game so much. I now have an, a wife. She's an ex-whore, but we're not going to judge her. And I have an illegitimate son with her. He doesn't like the outdoors at all, but we're working on him. That's uh, a little bit of an interesting thing. <laughs> what is that? That's in the game, huh? That's in the game. I finished the game. And you end up as a different character in free roam. I'm in free roam now. So you can play the game forever. Okay. So the game doesn't end. The story ended, but you can play the game forever. And I can go hunting and fishing and I can do chores. I literally leave my fake wife and illegitimate son and go down and spend time with my real wife because I feel like I've spent too much time in the other family. Nice. <laughs> well, I did see you did have some shows that are up and it's been kind of like things change every day and, and so forth. When have you done shows? And I saw one on February 13th. Is that going to happen for you? And are oh, you yeah. doing these shows? Yeah, it's sold out. I've been able to tour. I started back, I guess, around the end of August. We had all of September canceled. Parts of October got canceled. But anyway, December we did the Christmas show and then we lost nine Christmas shows because I do a completely different comedy thing for the Christmas show. And then I lost all of January, but we start this Saturday and we're booked every weekend through the end of May. Nice. Anybody around you been affected? Two daughters get COVID, a couple of grandmothers. Fortunately, we haven't had anybody. We haven't lost anybody that, that I've known at all. 
And, you know, it's it's a real thing. You know, it is hard, obviously, that balance of should we tour, should we not tour? I know a lot of people jumped on soon as, uh, you know, Biden got into office. They were like, look at all these folks that have lost their job in the pipeline. And I'm like, well, the unemployment line way back there because a year ago, Right from right now, you know, 23 million people went out of job. And all the people that I know that are in the entertainment business have struggled to find it. We've been real fortunate in the fact that we've been able to do some dates and the people come out and they really want to laugh and they really want to get away from the politics and and all those other things. You know, it's a fine balance of airing your own feeling. And I think that's what's really why people have been gravitating to to what we're doing is because, let's face it, people have their own problems, John. So why do we have to share our own point of view and our own problems? They're tuning into me, so maybe I can put a smile on their face. I don't ho-hum, you know? You're never going to see me sweat. Whether I got a dollar in my pocket or I got $100 in my pocket, I'm going to be the same regardless, you know? And I think when people use empathy for attention, I don't think that's a very good thing, in my opinion. Well, and some of it has to do with my faith as well. You know, I saw somebody post the other day, 100 million prayers went unanswered, you know, over the election. Mm -hmm. And I sent him a message and I go, hate to break it to you, brother. Sometimes the answer to a prayer is no. Yeah. So if you are truly a believer, you have to just believe that no matter what happens, it's happening for a reason. It's happening because that's the vast plan of things. And it takes so much more pressure off of you if you're not trying to figure out that everything has to evolve around what you think. I've said this a couple times in the past couple of shows. You know the most important thing about life? Life. Because if you don't have that, you ain't got anything. So if you wake up breathing, you should be happy. You know, there's a great couple of books that I recommend people read. Uh, one is the original book by Les Brown called Live Your Dreams, which has helped me get started in stand-up anyway in this whole wacky business. You know, one of my favorite quotes from him is, how many times have you had a good idea that you talked yourself out of? Didn't mm-hmm. need anybody else's help. You talked yourself out. Well, you can't get it because you're not in Hollywood. You can't, you know, those kind of things. I watched the other day, uh, Bryn Brown, a documentary. She's great. B-R-E-N-E Brown. She talks about vulnerability on putting yourself out there regardless of the outcome. I try to really watch those kind of things to to make sure that for my own self that it stays up because it's tough. I go through the bouts with it too, man. And then mm-hmm. the pity party comes, you know, it's hard to get out from under. Happened to yeah. me yesterday. You know, suddenly I'm, I'm looking at old footage because we we want to do some throwback Thursday stuff, right? And then all of us got cussing in it for 15 years. You know, I couldn't do the sentence without it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I got nothing that I can show for yeah. 20 years of work. Things that I would be proud of now. As a matter of fact, as we're talking about it, it's kind of the answer to what I was thinking yesterday. So yesterday I was thinking, you know, I seem to be just churning for 20 years. And now I realize what I want to produce are things that I want to be proud of 20 years from now. So I'd like to introduce you to Catfish Cooley. Catfish is one of my comedians. He's in Beaumont, Texas. He's kind of one of those guys that, you know, they judge the cover, but don't read the book, you know, and there's a lot there with him and him being in Texas. I think maybe talking to a guy like you would be a good experience for him. Yeah. How long has he been doing comedy? See, I've had him on stage for two and a half years, and I kind of threw him to the wolves. I mean, he sells tickets, but he's gotten better over time. He's kind of going through that thing now. He, you know, the, I think the first time put him on stage, he said the F word 175 times, you know? So now we got that down to about 20. 
you know, but I think someone planting a seed in his head that's not me and someone that has the experience like you, I think that might be good for him. Well, it's it's funny. It just makes you uh, accessible. And I mean, there's an audience, obviously, for it. You know, I like dark humor and I like blue humor. I do. You got to ask yourself at, at some point, how do you become accessible? I mean, I did the Huckabee show this year. I'm not a political guy, but if you would have told me five years ago that I was going to do something on the TBN network, I'd have said, you're crazy, man. You know, Mm -hmm. because CMT bleeped out my special. And I'm not saying I said it 144 times, you know, because they bleeped it. It sounded like the Titanic, you know, the guy doing the Morse code on the Titanic. And I realize now I can't use any of that footage, you know, because I got grandkids now. And I also run a charity for kids. You know, yeah. with cancer. So how does that work into the whole vast scheme of what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to accomplish? I think you got a great spirit. I would like to point out is just the charity work that we are doing and because we're in lockdown. So my wife and I started a charity in 2012 called Cowboys of Care. And it started because there was a young lady named Ashley Miller and her mom and dad asked me to put my name on a golf tournament to raise some money for her because she had a rare form of cancer. And we got to know Ashley and her mom and dad. Then her cancer goes into remission and it came back with a vengeance and she lost her battle. That same week, I was invited to the uh, prayer vigil when they were going to take her off of life support. Uh, that same week, I had lost a friend from high school who died of a heart attack, but it wasn't impacting. I hadn't seen him actually since high school, right? But I went to Ashley's vigil. I mean, brother, I lost it. Her parents went through and couldn't figure it out. And I knew I wanted to help. And then one day I get on a cruise ship and they give me a, a cabin with a bunk bed. Now I'm pissed, right? I'm 6'2", and now I'm in a bunk bed. So I won't even be able to set up for seven days. I am livid about my experience of life. Uh, the next day, um, I'm just on the computer there and I Google kids with cancer images, kind of open it up to the universe. And I had all these kids' faces, bald heads and, and big smiles. And in the mirror, because where I'm sitting in the mirror, I could see my cowboy hat sitting up there. And that's when it hit me. That was my aha moment. Well, these kids need cowboy hats. What, what seven-year-old wants to wear a wig? What seven-year-old wouldn't want to wear a cowboy hat? So we formed Cowboys of Care Foundation, a nonprofit organization, and just started delivering brand new resist all hats to kids through a process. In the last 10 years, we've given away a little over 10,000 brand new cowboy hats. What we have now is obviously we're locked down, so we can't go into the hospitals. But what we have is a, a program called a request a hat program. So if you have a child, if somebody's watching this and you know a child who has cancer or life-threatening illness, all they have to do is go fill out the form on cowboyswhocare.org cowboyswhocare.org and fill out the request a hat button and that'll come into our office and Lisa Bruce, our operations manager, she and I will fulfill that order and we will ship out that hat free of charge. No shipping, no handling, no nothing. We'll get the hat out. What I really need folks to uh, go to Cowboys Who Care or share it on their Facebook or let somebody know about it. That's a great idea, by the way. Very good idea, man. And I like your positivity, and that's a good thing. We need more positive people in the world today. And I want to thank comedian William Lee Martin for being on the Unimpressed Podcast. And I'm John Edmonds Cosma, the CEO of Bang Productions. Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.